Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Juan Chavez. I am one of the resident pastors here at Redemption Peoria. Uh, if I don't know you yet or haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would really love to meet you and get to know you. And I'll be hanging out where Sean usually hangs out in between services next to the connect desk. Uh, So feel free to come up and say hi, introduce yourself, and uh, yeah, I'd love to meet you. Uh, So just a brief introduction. Um, My wife and I, Tina, she's not here. She'll be here second service. We've been married six years now. Uh, We have two beautiful daughters, JL, who's three, Violet, who's a year and a half, and we have one on the way. Yeah, so we got a summer baby, uh, so pray for that. And... No, not like because it's going to be crazy, just pray, you know, like a healthy pregnancy and stuff. But it probably will be crazy because it's already crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? <clears throat> we do ministry in South Phoenix and Levine. And uh, yeah, we've been members here at Redemption Peoria for a couple of years now. And it's just been a, a huge blessing to be part of this church. Uh, my wife and I were tripping out just on how, what God has done in our lives over the last couple of years, how we became members here and uh, even being able to be on staff here and learning and growing and building relationships and even having the opportunity to uh, stand before you and, and share the word of God. And we are just grateful to be part of a, a healthy church, a good church. Of course, we're not a perfect church because that doesn't exist in this world, but we're a healthy church. And I'm grateful that, that God has um, planted this church and allowed my family and I to be a part of that. We've been in this series called Love Walked Among Us over the last few months, and we've highlighted uh, what love looks like, and, and it's been really good. It's been rich, and, and we're going to continue that today and just go even deeper in love. And it's interesting because in the chapter we're in today, in John 13 through chapter 17, love appears 31 times compared to only six times in chapters 1 through 12. So we'll get even more and more into what love looks like. But it's, but it's funny because our culture in the West, we, we, have a, we have just a weird way of using that word love. And we kind of throw it around real, real uh, generally. And I could say like, I love my wife Tina and I love hip hop. And it's true. And I could say, I love Jesus and I love Galifia's tacos. And I know some of y'all love Galifia's Tacos because I see you there on Sunday getting down, right? Or I could say, I love my church and I love coffee. So one might say, so you love your church as much as you love coffee? Yeah, of course I do. And then most of y'all do. No, I don't, of course. But 
just to make the point that we don't have this great way of defining love. So it's been, it's been a real rich blessing over the last few months to really look at what love is like, how love walks, how love talks, how love sees, what it feels like, how it communicates through the life of Jesus, and seeing love on display through our Savior's life has, has been a rich blessing as we've studied that. One thing we'll notice uh, in today's chapter and even going forward is we're taking a turn uh, toward Jesus making his way to the cross. And we'll hear more and more about that in the next few weeks. But this is perfect timing given the fact that we're in the season of Lent. And you and I have been preparing our hearts uh, for Good Friday and for Resurrection Sunday and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross and the resurrection three days later. So it's really cool how God lined that up and just the timing of that throughout redemption. Another thing we could point out about this text is it's like a farewell moment for Jesus because he's a day away from, from going to the cross. And we know that it's believed that like on our deathbed or in our last moments of life, we want to communicate that which is most valuable to us and, and just means the most to us. And it's the same for Jesus. He knows that he is on his way to the cross. He knows it is his last moments on earth. So that puts more weight on what we're going to read today and what we're going to look at today. It makes it a little heavier knowing that these are Jesus' last moments with his disciples. As I studied this and, and as I prayed over this text, I, I came across like 15 different things that I, that I, that I noticed that I wanted to communicate and there's no way I can fit those 15 things into a sermon. One, you would be bored. Two, I would probably never be invited up to speak again. So as I narrowed it down, I decided that I'm going to talk about 12 things today. <laughs> what if I was serious and y'all were laughing at that? I'm not serious. I'm only, I'm only talking about three things today that I want to point out in this text. And those three things are that love takes the lower place, that love acts and is lived out, and that through Jesus' act of washing his disciples' feet, it's symbolic to a deeper cleansing that all of us are in need of. So let's take a look at that first point, that love takes the lower place. And we're actually going to start in a different part of the Bible that we didn't read up front, and that's in Luke, chapter 22, verse 24. So if you have your Bibles, I'll give you a quick second to turn there. And although we didn't read it up front, these two texts go hand in hand because they're both taking pl uh, place at the same time, during the Last Supper. And we read in, in 24, and we'll actually read through 27, even though I just want to highlight 24, but I want to read more just because it's good to hear the word of God. It says, a dispute also arose among them, them being his disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you 
as one who serves. So we see this, especially in verse 24, we see that there's a dispute taking place between the disciples. And if you read a couple of verses before that, Jesus just dropped a bomb that someone is going to betray him. So his disciples start pointing the finger at who it is that's going to betray Jesus. And that dispute as to who it is that's going to betray Jesus turns into a dispute as who it is that is the greatest among them. So it probably sounded something like, I ain't betraying Jesus. You'll probably betray Jesus. I love Jesus. Oh, you love Jesus? No, I love Jesus. No, you think you love Jesus? I love Jesus so much. You know what I gave up for Jesus? You know what I left for Jesus? No, you think you just left a little bit for Jesus? Listen, this is what I left for Jesus. And they're just going back and forth like, you're whack. You ain't nothing. You're trash. I don't know. That's probably, that's the way I hear it in my mind. That's the way I, that's the way it takes place. But they're arguing with each other as to, as to who is the greatest. There's competing and comparing taking place in this moment. Does that sound familiar? Because we live in a culture today that is all about competing and comparing. I remember in grade school, um, in, in math class, there was this girl named Melissa Shoemaker. And she was my arch enemy. And we would compete all the time over math, over who was the better one at math. We were like the top two mathematicians in our class. And just side note real quick, because I've been praying about this and studying, I had a dream last night that I was in math class and my teacher was like, tell me your mission. And I go, my name is Juan Chavez and I'm passionate about math. (laughs) True story. True story. That's what happens when you're reflecting on your sermon for so long. So Alyssa and I would compete all the time over who was better, and our teacher would pass out the paper, and we'd race to, to you know, finish first, and, and knowing we didn't get any wrong, and looking at each other, and she'd win some, and then I'd win some, and then she'd win some, and then I'd win more. But there is this culture of comparing and, and competing, and I mean, that just took place for the rest of my years. And, and that takes place in our culture. Like we live in a culture that teaches us it's all about being better. That teaches us it's about being the best. It's about being number one. It's about proving ourselves, one-upping each other. Our culture pushes us in this direction and, they, and it teaches us that this is okay. We live in a world that teaches us that even if we have to start from the bottom, that we can make our way up to the point where we are being served and no longer have to serve because of the position that we've acquired. And sometimes, y'all, like this could take, this can, this lie can trickle into Christianity and this lie can trickle into the church. And I know that because I lived it. Like I believe the lie that I had to make my way up. And even though I wouldn't say it verbally, I believed in my heart, like, man, I would love to be served and, and serve less and get myself in a position where I didn't have to do that. And I remember one day my wife and I were, were, um, were finishing up this youth group and a bunch of us, you know, we're hanging out with all these young people and we had this fun night and the carpet's dirty and they, they got food all over the place and the chairs are thrown all over and they just, the kids just get up and leave. So it's just, you know, of course, left with the leaders to clean stuff up. But there was this guy who was 
considered in like a high position. Like he was the president of an organization. He was very well respected, very well known in the community. And he happened to be there that night. And after everyone left, he grabbed a vacuum and he went to the carpet and, and began to vacuum. And then he stayed and helped us move everything and, and clean everything up. And my wife and I were shocked when we saw that because we weren't used to seeing that amongst Christian leaders. And, and when I looked at him and I saw him living that out, my thought was, that's like Jesus. That looks like Jesus. Like I knew that that's Jesus. And even here, here in our congregation, he, he doesn't want me to say his name. He didn't even know I was saying it, but it rhymes with Ron Remeter. <clears throat> but he, he, uh, he parks, he parks like in the furthest parking spot that that is, is available in the parking lot. And I remember pulling in and, and asking him, like, man, why do you park so far? And he's like, well, I just want to give other people the opportunity to park as close as they can so they don't have to walk that far and, and willing to, to, to serve in that capacity. And I remember hearing that and, and, and looking at him and, and thinking, that's like Jesus. And you, you can probably think of a lot of people in your circles that you see serve and love others in a certain way, and you look at them and you think, yeah, that's like Jesus. But that's not what's happening here in this text that we're reading. That's not what's happening amongst the disciples right now. They're disputing about which one of them is the greatest. And they're comparing and they're competing. And none of them are willing to stoop to wash another's feet. That's the last thing that they would do. So imagine how shocked they were when Jesus Christ stands up from the table takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and postures himself low and begins to wash their feet. How would you feel if you were in that room? How would you feel if you were one of his disciples who were jockeying for position, putting other people down so you can prove yourself, and Jesus comes up to you and washes your feet? It's shocking. Not only that, but when we look at John 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, you would think the next part of the Bible would speak of something that exhibits that power that Jesus had been given. Something that's like real massive and shows off and reflects God's glory because he's been given all power. Because that's what I would do. If I was given all power, if all power was given to me, the temptation not to flex would be too much. I would need to. And I can't help in my mind but to think about like Street Fighter, Ryu and Ken type of stuff, like Hadouken, like fireballs and, and like destruction, but not hurting people. And then like, you know, fixing it all up when it's all said and done because I have all power and authority. And Jesus, knowing that he had been given all power and authority, does the complete opposite of flexing. One commentator put it this way, and it's the best description of, of what Jesus did that I, that I could find. He said, the one into whose hands the Father had given all now takes his disciples' feet into his hands to wash them. I want to ask us, 
What power do we think we have that we would refuse to take the lower place and serve the way Jesus served? What pride lurks within you and I that prevents us from loving others in this way? What is it that stops us from taking the lower place? Is it our job position? Is it our job title or our ranking? Is it the amount of income you and I make? Is it the size of the home we have or the possessions we've acquired or the side of town that we live in? Is it a talent that you have or is it the things you've accomplished in life? Maybe it's your prestige or your popularity or maybe it's the level of education you've attained or maybe it's your upbringing. Maybe you were just brought up in a home where it was taught not to show weakness but to demand respect and maybe even demand service. Regardless of what it is, Regardless of what gets in the way of you and I wanting to take the lower place and posture ourselves as Jesus did, we have the example that Jesus set that we must follow. So because of that, phrases like, I've graduated from that, or I'm too good for that, or no, nah, that's beneath me, those should not be in our vocabulary as Christians. Henry Nowen, or my friend Kevin told me it's pronounced Henri Nowen. So, Kevin, if you're listening, you're welcome. But Henry Nowen, Nowen refers to this lifestyle that Jesus lived as downward mobility. And if anyone can speak on a lifestyle of downward mobility, it's, it's Henry Nowen. Because he left a platform of teaching at the most prestigious universities in our country and having opportunities to speak at some really amazing places. He left that platform to join a community called Laarc. And it's a community that's nationwide that welcomes in people with disabilities. And as Nowen stepped into this community, he quickly realized that they did not recognize him for his education or his accomplishments or what he was known for by everyone else. They didn't care for that stuff. They didn't know him in that way. They simply needed to be loved, and so did he. And nothing taught him humility in the way of Jesus than stepping into this season of his life. And he, and he writes about the rich blessings that come from a lifestyle that, is, that he deems as downward mobility. And he has a quote when referring to Jesus and his pursuit of downward mobility. And this is what Nowen says about Jesus. Indeed, the one who was from the beginning with God and who was God revealed himself as a small, helpless child, as a refugee in Egypt, as an obedient adolescent an inconspicuous adult, as a preacher from Galilee, followed by some simple fishermen, as a man who ate with sinners and talked with strangers, as an outcast, a criminal, a threat to his people. He moved from power to powerlessness, from greatness to smallness, 
from strength to weakness, from glory to ignominy. The whole life of Jesus of Nazareth was a life in which all upward mobility was resisted. The whole life of Jesus of Nazareth was a life in which all upward mobility was resisted. Jesus takes the lower place. Love takes the lower place. So here's what I want to do before I move on to my next point. I want to pray with us that God would show us that there are lies in our culture teaching us to do the opposite, teaching us to pursue upward mobility and not the way of Jesus. And I want to pray against that and pray that God would make us aware of how we can reflect the life of Jesus more. Would you pray with me? Father, we live, and you know this, God, in a culture that is all about ego and platforms and popularity and and getting ours. And God, you showed us in the life of Christ that, that that is not how you desire us to live. So Father, would you open our eyes constantly and remind us of your truth, remind us that we are to fight against those lies and not believe them as Christians, but to live a life like Jesus to live a life that takes the lower place and that the world may see that and see you in us. In Christ's name, amen. The sermon's not over. I wonder, I wonder if y'all were thinking that. Like, All right, next point. Um, love is lived out. It's not just believed. So not only did Jesus say things like, those who humble themselves will be exalted, or learn from me for I am meek and lowly in heart, or I did not come to be served, but to serve, but Jesus lived this out consistently by taking the lower place, by making himself nothing and taking the very nature of a servant. So when we look at verse 17 of John 13, it says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It doesn't say you will be blessed if you memorize them, or if you can quote them, or if you can recite them. It says you will be blessed if you do them. See, the gospel is not just an ideal for you and I to contemplate, but the gospel is a life that you and I should be living out. Jesus acted in love. I believe it may have been enough for him to just say that we should serve one another in this way, and you and I would have believed it because of who he is. It would have been enough for him just to say it, but he doesn't stop at just saying it. He says it as we read in Luke, but then he gets up from the table and he acts, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Paul Miller says that love and action are intertwined. It's not enough to just say we believe this, but we have to show our belief in it by living it out. And I would hate for us to walk away from here today like, yeah, that's awesome, man. Look how cool Jesus is. He took the lower place. Man, what a great God I serve. And miss 
the point of us having to change some things in our lives in order to live this out. Jesus stepped into the lowest place on the totem pole. This job was given to those of the lowest prestige. And Jesus stepped into that role. Jesus, the God and creator of all, the Lord, master, savior, who was worshiped by angels and is sovereign over all of creation, purposely stepped into the lowest place on the totem pole. And I want to ask you and I this morning, how can we actively pursue the lowest place on the totem pole? What does that look like in our circles? What does that look like at our church? What does that look like in our community groups? What does that look like in our neighborhoods? What does that look like at our jobs? With our families, with our friends, with our spouse, with our children. What does it look like in your world to step into the lowest place on the totem pole? And this isn't just like one-time things, just like, all right, I got I to gotta step into the lowest place today, like, got it, check off the box, cool, I'm good, I did mine. This is a lifestyle, and that's one thing we see about Jesus, and one thing we've learned over the last few months, like, this was a lifestyle of Jesus. This was a way of being, and you and I should strive to live out this lifestyle, not perfectly, because that's impossible. We're going to slip up. We're going to mess up. We're going to forget. We're going to think about ourselves. But to intentionally ask God to check us and push us in this direction of consistently living this out. Because our lives are not our own. They don't belong to us. According to Galatians six nineteen and 20, this is because we were bought for a price. And that price, we know, was the blood of Jesus. I think it's important to note also that as you and I pursue humility and as we pursue taking the, the lowest place or the lowest place on the totem pole, that this is not a means or a method that we use to get toward greatness. Because when Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One can look at that text and think, okay, so according to Jesus, if I want to get to greatness, then I need to be a servant. So the means to get there is through servanthood. Or one can think, if I want to be exalted, I need to walk in humility. And that's not what Jesus is trying to teach here. The end goal is not to be great. The end goal is not to be exalted. The end goal is the humility in itself. That's the greatness. The servanthood in itself, the lowliness in itself, that's where it's at. So when our motives are pure in serving and taking the lowest place, we will reap the benefits of joy. And we will serve and step into that with joy. But if our motives are not pure and we really want greatness or we really want to be exalted or we really want to be recognized by others, then that fruit of joy will not be there. And you have probably seen what that looks like in people's lives or 
or maybe you've seen it in your life because I know I've seen it in my life. Serving without joy. Serving because I just feel like I have to. And it's ugly. And it's not fun. And, and we're miserable in doing that. And we're not reflecting Jesus when we do that. But with the pure motive of just like, man, this is, this is how Jesus lived. And I want to reflect humility and lowliness. God, help me do that. And as we line ourselves up with the heart of Christ, we will reap joy as we do that. Because Galatians tells us to serve one another humbly in love. And that love, to serve one another humbly in love, that love is the key. That love is the center. That love is what we have been getting at over the last few months in this series. So again, before I move on, I want to pray that God would show us what this looks like in our lives. Will will give us ideas on how we can live this out. Pray with me. Father, uh, as we leave here today, even right now at this very second, we ask that you would show us, God, how you want us to tangibly live this out. What this looks like in our circles, what this looks like in our homes, in our families, in our communities, on our jobs. How, God, do you want us to consistently take the lower place and step into that? Show us, Father. Show us what this looks like. Remind us in a few days and in a few weeks and in a few months. Remind us, bring us back to the life of Jesus. And help us figure out how we can actively pursue this. In Christ's name, amen. My last point is that this act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is symbolic to spiritual cleansing. So his disciples' feet are dirty. We know that because they walk everywhere. They're wearing chanclas, sandals. That's Mexican for, for uh, his, Spanish for sandals. But they got dirty feet, and Jesus takes water and, cl- and cleans their dirty feet. And you and I, family, we are filthy with sin. We are dirty with sin. And in the same way, Jesus washes us clean with his blood. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Following the washing of his disciples' feet, Jesus makes his way to the cross where he was wrongfully arrested. He was mocked. He was spit at. Jesus was stripped naked. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was pierced and left for dead hanging on a cross. Jesus sacrificed his life, taking on the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He was buried and rose again three days after. All of this so that as you and I believe in him, We would be fully forgiven of our sins and born again, living a new life, adopted into the family of God, and assured salvation and eternity with him forever. And this is good news. And we know this is good news. And to the believer, this is a good reminder. Because we need to remind ourselves of this truth constantly. We need to remind ourselves, believers, brothers and sisters, of the fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us because we can forget that and when we remind ourselves of that hope when we remind ourselves of that truth 
the fact that we were far from God and he brought us near by the blood of the cross. Problems that we go through, anxieties that, that, that we have, worries that we have are so small compared to the eternity we have in the future. And the joy that is produced in our hearts when we are reminded that we are free from sin, that we are set free, that we are redeemed, that we are made new, that we are born again, that God has given us new appetites, that there is a joy deep down inside that the world cannot take away. That is a good reminder for us, and we need to remind ourselves and encourage one another of this truth. And to the non-believer, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And my prayer is that you would believe on him today, that you would receive his forgiveness and his love. How long will you chase after that which does not satisfy? How long will you be a slave to your sins? Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. St. Augustine has one of my favorite quotes. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. To those who are not following Jesus, do you sense that restlessness? Do you sense your heart not being able to rest? Because I sense that. I lived that. I knew that feeling. Going to bed, knowing there's got to be more to, more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than, than the sin that I'm living in. And then Jesus opened my eyes. He offers new life. And I pray that you would walk in that and receive that forgiveness and that love. I love Peter's response, and I'm ending with this. We didn't read it up front, but, but at the end of, of uh, the text that we read, Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter Peter's desire, he did not want Jesus to wash his feet. He couldn't think about his master stooping to that level to wash his feet. And when he realized what that symbolized, that that meant he had shared with Jesus, he said, wash all of me. And my prayer for all of us here at church is that our desire for Jesus would be the same, that we would desire Jesus more and more and desire to reflect his life, his love, his service to others, and that the world would see that and glorify our Father in heaven when they see our good works. Let's pray here together this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that you set before us. Uh, thank you that we get to study what love looks like. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and in our lives to reflect more and more of who you are. Let the love amongst us as a community be genuine. Be at the center of that, Holy Spirit.
We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.